Hi, listeners. I'm so excited about our next guest. He talks about his career throughout the show. It's been so varied. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Gurian. He's a former cosmetic dentist and former clinical professor at New York University College of Dentistry. Don't stop listening, however, because he's also a comedian and he's worked with some of the best in the business and he is some of the best in the business too. So stick around for this show. I guarantee you, you're going to feel warm and fuzzy on the inside by the time we're done with this one. Thanks for tuning in. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Jeffrey, I'm so glad that our wonderful and amazing podcaster and our PR uh, firm uh, founded by Ryan McCormick introduced you to us. Yeah, I'm always grateful to Ryan. He's a wonderful person and he brings me to meet wonderful people as well. You know, (laughs) they say that uh, the universe puts people in your life that you're supposed to know. And that's always true with Ryan. So I'm very grateful that we got a chance to connect. I know, I know. He's been, he's so lovely, such a lovely person. Absolutely. Um, and you, you have this incredible career from being a cosmetic dentist to a clinical professor to, I mean, that goes on, uh, a practitioner of spiritual healing and energy work. I mean, it just goes on and on. And then comedian and working <laughs> with people like Joan Rivers and Phil Hartman and Gilbert Gottfried and Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, how does someone have a career like that? <laughs> it's a very strange life. I will tell you that. I don't know. I, I think of it all the time. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be some kind of a doctor. And I knew I was too sensitive to deal with anything that had to do with life and death because mm. I, I was a very sensitive child growing up. And that's one of the things that I hope we'll be able to talk about because sensitivity is very often overwhelming to people yes. and it, it creates a lot of problems in your life until you learn how to handle it as a strength and not as a weakness. But with me, I was a very sensitive kid and I, and I still knew I wanted to do something to help people. And I liked my dentist. I originally thought I wanted to be an orthodontist and make people look beautiful. And I was already writing comedy when I was 12 years old. I was always thinking of things that I thought were funny and I never... I could never decide which of the two I wanted to do. So I wound up doing both. 
<laughs> and it was it, it was very confusing to me as a kid. I remember thinking to myself, I want to be a doctor and I want to be in show business. And who ever heard of such a thing? How could you be a doctor in show business? And <laughs> and it was <laughs> so I created this thing. And years later, Cindy Adams from the New York Post said she figured it out. She said. Uh, that I make people laugh to see if they have any teeth missing. That was the thing. She said she, said she finally figured out the connection. But uh, for many years, I, I, you know, while I was in practice, I was a cosmetic specialist. So I got to make people look beautiful. Mm. And my nurse had strict instructions, never interrupt me while I'm working except for show business. So she would come in and, and she would say, like, Dr. Rivers is on the phone. Dr. Lewis is calling because I wrote for Jerry Lewis in those days. The, the only one nobody believed was Dr. Dangerfield. Nobody ever believed that there was oh. a Dr. Dangerfield. But I used to get these calls at the office all the time. And so it's been that kind of it's been an interesting road for me. You know, uh, no one really chooses their path. You think you do. Right. But the universe has a plan for you. And things get presented to you along the way. And that's what happened to me. I, I didn't know one person in show business. And I wound up working with some of the biggest stars of all time. You know, to this day, yeah. working with like people like Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and Kevin Hart and Amy Schumer. You know, all these uh, top stars, they all became friends of mine. And uh, I get to work with these people, which is really amazing for me. How is it, you know, a lot of people think, well, some people think, okay, comedy, you have to have a really thick skin to be in the the comedy world. Uh, and yet the comedians that I know, like Frank King and many others, they're so sensitive. And I think, yeah. how do you, you know, how do you do that? You, you know, before we hit record, you had said you are as well. So how how does that resonate with you being so sensitive and also doing something like comedy? Yeah, yeah it's a very strange thing. It's a, it's a very strange balance. First of all, I, I, I want to say right out, I hate mean-spirited comedy. Mm. And comedy has gotten very mean-spirited. Now, I used to write for the famous Friars Roast. I was the main writer for about 12 years. And I used to go up to the person being honored, which was always a major celebrity, and I would say to them, is there anything you're sensitive about or that you wouldn't want jokes told about? Because I never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. These days, they purposely try to hurt people's feelings when yeah. they do these roast battles and things. It's two comedians saying the most horrible things about each other. If someone has cancer or someone's parents just passed away, or they use that as the joke. And to me personally, that's not funny. Um, you have to build up a thick skin in any any part of the entertainment field because people are always judging you. Right. And it's a really difficult thing. Sometimes I'm on stage and I'm getting a lot of laughs and I'm thinking, this is crazy. Why do I want to do this? Because <laughs> your your life is always on the line as a comedian. You know, it's a right. very strange field where you go up in front of a room full of strangers and you try to convince them that what you think is funny is actually funny. You know, it's a very hard thing to do. And either they laugh or they don't like if you're a singer, people will always applaud politely at the end, even if you're a bad singer. But if you're a comedian, either they laugh or they don't laugh. That's it. Nobody's laughing to be polite. You can't make them, you know, just laugh. And so your life feels like it's always on the line. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, you have to build up a thick skin because, you, look, if you're an actor, you go out for parts, most of them you don't get. So you have to learn to deal with rejection 
And you have to realize that it's not really personal. Sometimes you just don't fit the role that they're looking for. You know, it's not like any other business. You know, in most businesses, you go to school, you get a degree. There's an excellent chance that you'll get a job in that field. But in something like comedy, you could perform all your life and never really make it. You know, it yeah. depends. There's so much luck involved and all. So you do have to develop somewhat of a thick skin, right. which is hard as a sensitive being. But you know what? I think all artists are sensitive. We function on a level that most of the world doesn't understand. Right. And and I talk a lot about sensitivity because a lot of people who are suffering with mental illness, they're just overwhelmed by their feelings, you know? Yes. I'm, I, I've been told that I'm an empath, and that's why um, I've been involved in the healing world since I'm a child, and I'll, I'll tell you about that. But it's like there was a time in my life if I was with you and you were sad, I was sadder for you than you were. <laughs> I, I, I overfelt my feelings because I'm I like love- an antenna. I know. I love that you said the word empath, because sometimes I'll say that to someone and they're like, well, I have empathy. <laughs> and I go, okay, no. never mind. You haven't Googled what empath means. <laughs> right. An empath has no choice. I feel yeah. what you feel even Same more here. than you feel it. And it, it makes life very difficult, especially as a child. It took me a long time to learn. You know, when I was only seven or eight years old, I already knew that I could take away certain pain with my hands. And I used to do it on myself and my sister. And that, you know, in later years, that opened me up to the concept of past lives and reincarnation. Because Mm -hmm. when little children get gifts that nobody taught them, like my parents didn't know anything about that. Sometimes you hear about these like three-year-old piano prodigies. Right. It just makes sense to me that it could come from a previous existence. Mm -hmm. And no one knows whether those things are true or not, but I believe and opening your mind to all positive thoughts. Because I always ask people, like if someone doesn't believe in a higher power or God or whatever you want to call it, I always ask them the same thing. How does it diminish you in any way to open your mind to the possibility that that could be true? Right. Because, you know, because it's arrogant to say that you know that something isn't true. We're, we're only human beings and our knowledge is limited. Our comprehension is very limited of the world around us. So I like to believe in all positive things. So to me, that makes sense that a person can stop moving, but their spirit goes someplace. You can't kill energy. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's so funny because I had that experience today. Yesterday, I had to go to a funeral for someone in my family. And today, I got asked to perform comedy at a funeral. (laughs) Which was, was the first time <laughs> it was the first time that I ever been asked to do that, and I immediately <laughs> said yes because I got the concept that the husband was a musician and an artist, and he understood. And his wife, who I didn't know, I didn't know these people, but his wife supposedly had a great sense of humor. She was always joking around, always funny, and he decided that at the memorial service, which was today, that he wanted to have comedy. But the problem was, he didn't tell me this before, he didn't tell the audience that was coming that people were going to do comedy. So they expected serious speakers, and he had me go up first. And I had to open the thing, and I said, are you sure you don't want to tell anybody? He's like, no, ju- trust me, just do this. And there was, a, there was about 150 people there. The room oh was packed. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to handle this? Right. And then I realized 
you know, I used to write for Joan Rivers and I was at her funeral. I was allowed to attend. It was a very special event. And every person that spoke did jokes, even her daughter. They mm -hmm. made it into a very humorous kind of an event. As opposed to mourning their passing, they were celebrating their life. Wonderful. And that's I what I that. said today. When I, I went up. I funeral for sure. Celebrate yeah, it. I, it's a nice way of thinking of it, but people aren't always ready for it. So this guy gets up and he introduces me as a friend. He didn't, he didn't say there's a comedian here to tell jokes as a, as a friend. So I started out by saying, you know, well, I'm glad you're all here. This is so nice. And if you knew this woman, you know, she had a great sense of humor. She could have been a stand-up comedian. And I'm sorry if I seem a little nervous, but I've been nervous all my life. And I started going into this whole thing and people started laughing. And after I did my first bit, I stopped to thank them. And I said, I hope you don't think that this is disrespectful. I was asked to do this because he wanted to celebrate his wife's life. And people got it. And I told him about, you know, healing through humor. Because mm -hmm. you mentioned Frank King, but Frank and I okay. were just at this uh, event in Chicago about a week ago, or two weeks ago maybe already, uh, AATH, which is called the Association of Applied Therapeutic Humor. And it was over 200 health professionals that use humor in their work to help people deal with grief, with depression, with all kinds of mental illness, uh, cancer patients, people in recovery who are addicted to different things. They mm -hmm. find that they study humor scientifically and they find that it releases you know what we call the pleasure chemicals all our dopamine happy brain chemicals yeah yes dopamine oxytocin serotonin and endorphins the pleasure chemicals they call it dose d-o-s-e and it was so interesting being in a whole room full of people who understand that and i got to perform there and talk about my book on happiness so it was a very very special event and humor is a very powerful thing Absolutely. You know, to be able to make people laugh in spite of what's going on in their lives. Everyone has stress. Everyone has to face obstacles right. to overcome, you know, and if you can do it with kind of a sense of humor, I think it helps. Oh, absolutely. And I want to make sure our listeners know you can go to Amazon and look for Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. Um, what a and it's got a picture title. of a dog meditating. I saw that. <laughs> right? I a it. dog in lotus position, <laughs> meditating on an orange pillow, which is the color of the second chakra, you know. But there's a dog, mm -hmm. this beautiful dog. I wish it was mine, but you know how hard it is to get a dog to sit in lotus position. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's got to be. It's got to be really difficult. But so <laughs> a lot of people enjoy the cover of the book. You know, this dog's floating in this beautiful scene in, in the clouds. Well, and, animals, uh, laughter, lotus position, what's not to love about that? Right, and dog is God spelled backwards, you yeah, know. That's right. And, and it's a very powerful image. People love dogs. And I wanted to use something that would draw people's attention. And can I tell you the reason that I, I wrote this book, that what was behind sure. it? Absolutely. So, so, you know, it's called Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind. And from the time we're children, every time someone hurts your feelings or breaks a promise to you, or breaks up with you, or hurts you in any way, it stays lodged inside of us, in our heart chakra. And I call those things heart wounds. And they affect our self-esteem, and they affect our self-confidence, and they create invalid thoughts. 
Most of us are holding some thoughts that are not valid for us. In my case, in my personal case, I was holding thoughts that gave me an inferiority complex. I, and I stuttered very badly. I started stuttering at about age seven years old, and I stuttered mm -hmm. well into my 20s and even beyond into my 30s. I stuttered so badly that I couldn't say my name. I could never say Gurian. Most mm -hmm. stutterers have a hard time saying their name. And I realized one day I was given the grace to figure out I didn't stutter when I was alone. I could go into a room by myself and speak perfectly, but I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to someone else. And this is true for a lot of stutterers. And, and I thank you for letting me talk about this because I'm always grateful to be able to put this information out. Because in this country, they say there are like maybe 3 million stutterers, yep. but they have families and they deal with people. And many, many people are affected by people who stutter. And it's not a joke. It's a very serious disability. People, a lot of comedians like to make fun of it and stuff, but I had to deal with it for many years. So I realized one day I didn't stutter when I was alone, mm -hmm. which told me you can't have a disability based on your location, right? <laughs> Right. Right? If, if a man has a limp, he limps in every room of his house. He can't go into the room, close the door and walk perfectly. But right. if I could speak perfectly when I was alone, then theoretically, it means that there's really nothing wrong with me. I should be able to speak perfectly wherever I was, you know, and I used humor to myself. I would think, well, what if I was in a room and I thought I was alone and <laughs> I was speaking perfectly and someone was hiding there and they suddenly popped up? How quickly would I have to start stuttering? Right. You know, would I have to start stuttering immediately? Could I give myself a five minute grace period? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that there was really nothing wrong with me. And my parents had sent me for speech therapy and no one was able to help me. And I was determined that I was not going to go through my whole life as a stutterer. So I worked on myself for years. I basically took my mind apart and examined all my thoughts. And when I went to college, I made myself run for the president of the freshman class, and I couldn't say my name, but I told myself if I could win this election, I wouldn't have to stutter anymore because it would teach me that people like me because you can't win an election if nobody votes for you, right? right. So I had, I had other kids introduce me because I couldn't say my name. Mm -hmm. They were my campaign managers, and I learned a great lesson. I won the election. I was the president of the freshman class of Hunter College, and I still stuttered, and the great lesson was that outside validation in life doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many people right. compliment you, tell you that you're wonderful and talented and all this. It matters what you think of yourself, you know? And so I spent the next several years working on myself and examining my thoughts to see which thoughts I had to lose. Thoughts that were given to me maybe by bullies, by people who didn't care about me, mean things that people may say to you while you're growing up. You never know exactly what it was, right. but you have to look at yourself in a true light. And I realized that I didn't need to stutter. And I had, a, I, had, I had to convince my subconscious mind that I no longer needed to stutter, which may sound strange to people, that you need to do a certain thing. But I had created this for myself. And the beauty is that any thought you create, you can uncreate. Right. You know, it's not easy, but you can do it. And that's why my title says healing your heart by changing your mind. Because when you allow yourself the freedom to change the way you think, you're literally changing your mind. And as you see, I no longer stutter. And I'm grateful for that every day. And as an avocation, I work with stutterers and I teach them to do what I did. I teach them how not mm -hmm. to stutter. And it, that, it may not apply to every single stutterer, but I tell right. people 
to look at my website on stuttering. And if, if it makes sense to you, then there's a good chance that my technique will help you. Right. And I've, I've been able to help a lot of people. So that's the essence of my book. But it's not just about stuttering. It's about overcoming obstacles in your life. Every one of us gets obstacles or there are things about us that we would change if we could. And are you familiar with the serenity prayer? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So that's a very powerful thing because it says, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. And the most important line to me and the wisdom to know the difference. If I hadn't been graced with the wisdom to know that I didn't need to stutter, I'd still be stuttering today. Yeah. But I understood that that I, that I didn't have to accept that. Certain things in your life you must accept or else you'll go crazy. There are certain things that we can't change, but it's important to realize that there are certain things that you can change. And that's the essence of my book is that to get rid of the heart wounds and to learn how to think in a different way so that you can give yourself the freedom to achieve happiness, which everyone deserves. Right, exactly. And, I, I, used to, so, I used to notice that I did work with um, my dog for years. We would go do therapy dog visits at mental health um, mm -hmm. mental facilities health facilities, and psych wards and schools with kids that uh, were in mental health classrooms. And um, I worked with a lot of kids that have a speech impediment. And it was so fascinating to see how if, if the parents left <laughs> and I would sit behind the child that, and mm -hmm. have the child read just to my dog, miraculously, nine times out it of would, ten, they would stop stuttering. It would speak. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and you know why, too? Because animals are not judgmental. That's right. Very often parents, there's some dynamic in the household that seems to mm -hmm. cause stuttering, whether it's perfectionism. What I teach people is that it's not important to ever figure out exactly why you started stuttering, but it's important to look at all the possibilities because most people speak fine until they're like five, six, seven years old. You're already speaking fine. Something happens. It's not like you catch a cold. You don't just catch stuttering. Something happens. And it's, I, I look at it as like a bad habit. It's usually a response to something, whether you're trying to get back at your parents. There's usually some underlying cause. Right. And so that's so interesting that you notice that yourself, that if you sat behind them and they didn't see you and they thought they were just with your dog, that they were comfortable enough to speak well. Yep, and that's amazing. a very powerful thing. And do you know that there's nobody really putting that out there, that stutterers can get better. You know, they tell yeah, people, we, I've, been, yeah. I've been to organizations where they encourage the stutterer to keep stuttering and mm. to not be embarrassed about it. And I understand that on some level, right. but, but it hurt me. I was at one of these things. It hurt me to hear how badly these people were stuttering and just, allowing them to continue instead of telling them that they could get better. I think they're afraid that not everyone can do it. It takes a lot of work and a lot of mind control and a lot of concentration. And people tend to blame themselves if things do go wrong. So rather than feeling like you're putting pressure on them, they tell them, well, it's okay, just stutter through it until you get it out and right. people will have to handle it. And to me, that's not a good approach. I think people need hope. I think hope, no matter what illness that you're suffering with, I think it's important for people to have hope. Hope allows people to get better. Absolutely. You know, you take away people's hope and they start to, they go downhill very quickly.
Oh my gosh. You know, yes. When I used to work with a lot of depressed people in, in my healing work, like psychiatrists would send people to me that were stuck in depression. And again, that's not my original training. I was a cosmetic dentist and a professor at NYU in oral medicine and orofacial pain. And I would treat the physical symptoms of depression because a lot of people who are depressed get things like they think they're having migraine headaches and neck pain and back pain, physical body pain, ringing in the ears, things that are very often caused by clenching and grinding the teeth, which is called bruxism. Right. When people are very stressed, they tend to do that. And a lot of physicians and a lot of psychotherapists are not familiar with the symptoms. And so I created this body-mind-spirit approach because it's not enough to just take medication and it's not enough to just sit with a psychotherapist to talk about your problems. You also need a spiritual component to getting better. You know, those things are very important. And that's what new thoughts are about. Like in my book, I say you can't get better with the same mind that got you sick. You need new thoughts. You, You already know what your thoughts are. Right. You know, you know all of your thoughts. And if your thoughts haven't been working for you, if you're in a state of depression and you feel hopeless, you can't think your way out of it. You need new thoughts, a new way of thinking. And very often that's spiritual wisdom. So as an example, let's say you want something in your life and it, it's not working out for you. You're not supposed to think that nothing ever works for you and you're the ultimate victim of the universe. You're supposed to think, well... This didn't work out for me because I'm supposed to have something better than that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what that is, but if I have patience, the really good thing I'm supposed to have is going to come to me. So it's not like you're being punished. It's that you have to have patience to get the really good thing that you're supposed to have. Because if you got what you wanted, you'd be selling yourself short. And those kind of things, it takes time to incorporate that into your thinking. It does. It definitely But that's the kind of stuff that I would do with people when they're stuck. You know, sometimes I would see people for three to four hours. You know how most therapy sessions could be like 45 minutes? Mm -hmm. So I'm on the board of this group, the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy, and I'm not limited by their training. So I would Mm -hmm. tell them these things and not, not in a judgmental way, but I would say, you know, it's hard to get people to trust you in 45 minutes. But if you spend three or four hours with them, you have a much better chance. So that's that's what I would do. And I would share, you know, a lot of my work is like done in the 12-step programs, which are very powerful spiritual programs. And it's basically strangers that come in and share very intimate details of their lives that they might not tell anybody else. They tell it to a room full of strangers. And for some reason, that helps people get better. Yeah, Absolutely. You don't tell them your last name. You don't tell them what you do for a living. None of that matters. You just share from your heart, and people identify with that. So in my own life, I had to overcome a lot of different obstacles. And I would share that with people that I was working with, with patients that came to see me. And they understood that I understood what they were feeling. You know, And that seems to help people get better quickly. How, how did you deal with um, that part of being an empath where you don't know what you are. You don't know that if you don't know about boundaries and how to protect yourself, you know, boundaries, psychically boundaries, physically, all of those things, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Especially if you're someone that is the type of empath where I could have someone touch me or I would touch them. And then it was like a direct download. And I think I was crazy. Like, why mm-hmm. do, why am all of a sudden That's- am I upset? And, did I, and now I know to say, okay, anything that doesn't belong to me, leave. But it took mm-hmm. me so many so years. So long to learn that. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it's such a painful process. And, and I had to learn. And I, I'll t- I, I, I read a book that really changed my life. But I'll tell you what that is. But you said so many important things. Um, you tend to think that you're crazy because you're, you're in such a small category. Most of the world doesn't function on that level. They function in the first three chakras. And again, this is not meant to be judgmental in any way because right. no one chooses to be an empath. It's a gift that's given to you that exactly. often feels like a curse until you yes. learn how to use it and how to embrace it in your life because it allows you to be effective, especially if you're working with helping people. Um, in my practice, I was geared towards painless work. And I had a patient who said to me, I think you'd rather hurt yourself than hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I used to work. I, I worked for years to develop techniques where people wouldn't feel any kind of an injection that I gave them. They wouldn't, a lot of times they'd say, am I going to get an injection? And I'd be like, I already gave it to you because it's people's greatest fear to get an injection in their mouth is like a, right. you know, it's a very scary thing. And, and so I read a book, I, you know, how things cross your path. I went into this spiritual bookstore called Quest. It's near me. I live in New York City in the heart of Manhattan. And I was overwhelmed by the choices of books. I've always been on a quest for knowledge and truth. And so I went to this bookstore and there were so many choices. I couldn't make up my mind. And as I was leaving, I I was going to leave with nothing because I couldn't make up my mind. There was a book on a low shelf that was sticking out and it said, are you really too sensitive? And it had a picture of of a plant with a teardrop coming out of the plant. And I picked up that book, and I, I can honestly say that the book changed my life. It was written by a woman named Marcy Calhoun, and it's called Are You Really Too Sensitive? And it explained my sensitivity to me in a way that I had never understood it before, and it reaffirmed it to me. Uh, she, she breaks down uh, categories into ultra-sensitives. Like if you talk about something but you don't know how you know it, but you just know you know it. You feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about it. That's like a knowing ultra-sensitive. Then there are sponge ultra-sensitive. I'm sensitive to color, to weather, to the room I'm in, to the people I'm around, to every single thing affects me. And I had to learn, I was every single category mm. in that book, every single category. And I had an amazing thing. A friend of mine had a, a brother. Well, I wrote a letter to Marcy Calhoun and I didn't hear back from her. Two years go by. A friend of mine has a brother who's dying of AIDS and he calls me and he says to me, can you come to the hospital and do healing work on him? And I had never done anything like that before and in anything that involved life or death. He was in a coma. But of course it was my good friend and I said, yes, uh, uh, of course I'll come. And I, I wasn't sure what I was doing and I worked on his heart chakra and I left and it was very awkward. I didn't know his family. His family was there. I knew just my friend and this was his brother. I go home. They call me the next day. They said, whatever you did, his chances went from 10 to 20%. Would you please come back tonight? So I, could, I went back. I couldn't get there till one in the morning. It was just me and this fellow's mom. 
I did what I did again. And the next day they called me as chances are now up to 30%. And I got really nervous because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't want the family to think that I could be responsible for this guy surviving or not. It, it felt really, it was a lot of pressure. Well, I had planned to go back and I couldn't because my dad got terminally ill and had to be taken to the hospital and I had to go spend time with my dad. And I made a plan that I would go back and see this fellow over the weekend. And that weekend, I was overcome with a depression that I had never felt in my life. I felt hopeless. I felt suicidal almost. And I'm home. And in the middle of this, my phone rings. And who is it? It's that woman, Marcy Calhoun, that I had written to two years before. Hmm. And I said to her, I told her what was happening. I said, what would make you call me today? She said, I'm an empath and I'm a psychic. And I felt the need to call you. She said, and I can tell, I told her what was happening. And she said, I know from what you wrote to me that you're an empath. And what you did was you internalized this fellow's sadness because he felt like he was dying so young. He was only 35 and he felt like he was letting his family down and he just felt very bad. She said, go to the funeral home and tell him that it's okay. And so the wake was that night and it was very strange. I went to the funeral home and I told my friend, what had happened. And I said, I have a message for your brother. And I went up and I told him that. And my sadness was lifted. And it was an amazing thing. She told me that I had internalized his sadness as an empath. And those are the kind of things that happen. To me, that's an an amazing story. It is. It's amazing. And it's, it is, it is a gift, but boy, it doesn't feel like that until you know what you're dealing with. Until you know what you're doing. And there are still times that I'm overwhelmed by it. I, I, you know, certain things touch me. I can become overly emotional Mm -hmm. and uh, I I just feel things very deeply and I've learned to try and honor it. You know, uh, that's all you can do. You can't deny your basic nature and you can't change it either. You can't make yourself a tough person if you're sensitive. Men of uh, men in general, they're very afraid to be sensitive because we're not taught that that's cool. You know, you're supposed to not feel your feelings. That's why I always feel that women function on, on a much higher plane. They're, they're so much nicer and kinder hmm. because they're given this gift of sensitivity. Again, that often feels like a burden. And our society gives women totally the wrong message by saying to people, you're too sensitive, you know, right. because when it comes to stress-related illness, Many more women are affected than men. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You know, and it's because I believe it's because women feel their feelings. They don't block their feelings and feelings can, some you know, of us. Well, well, you have to learn that feelings are in fact. So, yes, yeah, some of us, of course, you can't generalize. There's too many people. But just in, you know, in general, it's no accident, I think, that most patients were women, mm. you know. And and so it's important that that message gets out there, too, that sensitivity Absolutely. is a wonderful thing, that it makes the world a better place. If people were more empathetic, they would be kinder to other people Absolutely. and the world would be a nicer place and you wouldn't have all the insanity going on. If we if we fostered, we wouldn't have so much incidence of depression, mental illness, because if you you know, those things can be created and made worse by denying our feelings and bury, trying to bury them. Well, that turns into, you know, depression. So 
I think if all these little kids that are a bunch of empaths running around or any little kid, if, if you're, if that's celebrated, if you're taught what that is, Mm -hmm. um, then your, the incidence of depression would be severely reduced. Uh, But unfortunately that's just not the way our, our society. Our society works. works. Yeah, I know it's, it's a a terrible thing. And, you know, I've had the experience. I've, I've gone to speak in locked wards in psychiatric wards where the patients are locked in, you know, and I get them to share. And it's amazing to me how verbal some of them are, how they have, they have important things to say. People that you would avoid on the street if you see them, but yet they have, like, some of them have like really good things to say. And I realized that they have been overwhelmed by their sensitivity, that they, they, life is just so much for them that right. they can't take it and they withdraw and they wind up in institutions very often. Uh, but some of them were really very intelligent and I was shocked to find that out because it's not what you would expect. You think no, when people I... are locked in a psychiatric ward that they're not going to make much sense. No, I made but... some of my most incredible connections when I was in a locked down psych ward with my dog. I mean, oh my gosh, that just opened my entire world. I was like, these are my people. Can I check in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want to leave. I can bring my dog. I'm good. It, it feels like the rest of the world should be locked up That's and right. those people are okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very odd thing. But well, very so often mental illness is about just being overwhelmed, you know? Absolutely. You so have to come back on because we could go on so many times. Oh, absolutely. I love this. Yes, Speaking to you is so great. You know, Thank you. It's a wonderful here. thing. And I, I thank you so much for having me on as a guest. We're doing our empath thing back and forth. That's why I feel all warm and fuzzy right now because I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, you're catching you. that vibe. That's great. That's right. That's well, so tell nice. Our where they can find out more about you and all the amazing things that you do. Okay, well, I have a website, and which is which is fun. It's it's comedymatterstv.com, and if you want to know about the stuff we were talking about, feel free to avoid all the showbiz stuff. There's there's all kinds of stuff about the comedy world, but again, comedy is very healing, so yes. you can see that. But there's a, there's a column on my website called About, and if you go under the About column, you'll see spirituality and healing. You'll see pages on my technique for conquering stuttering. Uh, all about like uh, curing headaches. A lot of serious stuff is on there too. But when you first open it up, you're going to see a lot of showbiz stuff with all the big comedy stars that you like. And so that's ComedyMattersTV.com. I have uh, a YouTube channel with about 2 million views with interviews with Jimmy Fallon and Chelsea Handler and John Stewart and Amy Schumer and Amy Poehler and even women not named Amy are on there. All the all the comedy stars <laughs> that you like, and that's youtube.com slash Gurian News Network, G-U-R-I-A-N, Gurian News Network. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Jeffrey Gurian. And I would love it if you if this has been interesting to you, if you go to Amazon and look at my site and look at healing healing your heart by changing your mind, a spiritual and humorous approach. To achieving happiness. It's available as an ebook, a paperback, and an audio book. So we covered all the bases. And if you if you do read the book, I would love it. My email is on every page. So you can send me an email. It's Jeffrey at Jeffrey I always welcome that from people who read the book. 
and yes. uh, and and again, I thank you for having me on as a guest. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll put in a call to Ryan after and thank him too, and Frank King because you know him as well. So mm-hmm. thank you again for coming on, and I want to say thank you to our listeners for another episode of Mental Health News Radio on Mental Health News Radio Network. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.